Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Baptist Church. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to um, Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to work our way to. And as you're looking for that passage, I do want to welcome you this morning. And I want to open with an illustration of an uh, event that happened not that long ago. And as we continue our series on next steps, the problem with an autopilot is uh, what I'm going to entitle the message today. And on August 15, 2022, an event transpired over in the country of Ethiopia. And Ethiopian Airlines had a flight that was going from Sudan to um, Adidas Abiba Airport. And the Aviation Herald reports this, that an incident happened on that Monday, August 15th, 2022, where an Ethiopian Airlines flight Echo Tango 343 from Sudan to Ethiopia uh, the flight was supposed to be operated by a 737-800, not a MAX, but a regular 800 Legacy Bird. And uh, the registration on the, on the aircraft was Edward Tango, or Echo Tango, Alpha Oscar, Oscar Bravo. And uh, it's a roughly 12-year-old aircraft. And the flight that day was only supposed to be about 620 miles or an hour and 50 minutes. So most of us have ridden on a flight that's about an hour and 50 minutes. So not really that far to go. The flight left uh, Sudan at 3.30 in the morning and was to arrive in Ethiopia at 6.20 a.m. with a one-hour time change in there. The flight departed as planned and climbed all the way up to 37,000 feet for a cruising altitude. And there was only one problem, though. The plane stayed at 37,000 feet for the duration of the flight. And as it approached the airport at Aditi Sababa Airport in Ethiopia, the aircraft lines up with the runway and flies straight over top of the airport. The problem is it's still at 37,000 feet. What happened? Why did this airplane do exactly what the autopilot was programmed to do? Why did this air aircraft do what it did? Well, we know the, these facts for sure. Number one, air traffic control lost um, contact with the pilots once they reached 37,000 feet. We know the plane continued to fly the course that was programmed in its flight management computer and until it lined up with runway 25 left at Aditi Sababa Airport. So we know the aircraft did exactly what it was told to do. And after overflying runway 25 left at 37,000 feet, by the way, the airport's at 7,000 feet, so they're 29,000 feet too high for landing. After the autopilot overflies the runway, well, guess what the autopilot does? It says, I don't know what else to do. I've arrived. The autopilot kicks off. A warning goes off in the cockpit, which wakes up both of the pilots from their sleep. And how do we know they're sleeping? Well, after the aircraft landed 25 minutes later, they went on board, pulled the voice recorders in the cockpit, and guess what they heard? Times two. They fell asleep on the flight, and the airplane was flying itself with passengers on board. And needless to say, uh, after the pilots woke up, were a little disoriented, figured out where they were, established radio contact with the tower, and landed the plane successfully. And that's the reason you didn't hear about this flight on the news. Had it gone wrong, you would have heard about it. But because the pilots were able to successfully land the aircraft, you and I only know, because I brought it up in this message this morning, that that just happened a few months ago. Well, you know what? It's easy for us to get off track in life, isn't it? It's easy for us to fall asleep at the wheel. And, and as we think about this going forward in these next steps, I want you to know that the Bible is full of people that fell asleep at the wheel, so, at the wheel, so to speak, or in our case of the illustration, at the yoke. Uh, they fell asleep in the process of trying to have a relationship with God. Let me point out a couple of who those are. Number one, Adam and Eve got off track and got banished from the Garden of Eden, didn't they? I mean, think about it. They got off track. All the civilization gets off track with God, so he floods the earth. He sends a flood. He sends rain. 
Abraham got off track with God and has a baby with his wife's maidservant instead of trusting God in his word. Moses gets off track and is not allowed to lead the Israelites to the promised land. The entire Old Testament is one incident after another where God's own people get off track, lose their way, and in fact, they spend more time off track than they do on. Now, you'd think it would be a little different in the New Testament, but once Jesus shows up on the scene, you would think it would be different, but it's not. The presence of the Messiah didn't help the disciples. They kept on, kept on missing it. And I don't say this to depress all of us, because why would we expect to be any different than many of the great men and women throughout the Bible? Why would, why would we expect to be any different? So God says the phrase, do not be afraid, 366 times in scripture. Think about that. 366 times he has to tell his people, his followers, his believers to don't be afraid. Why so many times? Because much of the Christian life, we feel afraid. You ever been afraid? Ever been afraid to take a step out? There's so many times when we won't feel God's presence in our life and we have to keep following him by faith. We can't live by fear. You know, it's really easy to get off track even with the best of intentions. It's easy to get off track even with the best. These pilots did not intend to fall asleep that morning. I don't, I don't know any pilot who thinks it's a good idea to fall asleep at altitude while you're flying an airplane. At some point, somebody needs to be watching to see what's going on. Eve, I don't think, planned on eating an apple that morning when she woke up or eating a fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't think she woke up. I don't think Moses woke up. You get the idea, right? None of them intended to do wrong, but all of them did. All of them found themselves in a situation where they walked away from what God had promised. Now, you already know this, but it's bigger than just being a spiritual thing. Just think about your New Year's resolutions you made last January. How many of you have kept them since then? Right? How many, how many kept them for like 10 minutes and, and, and let go, right? Some of you were the real overachievers, made it to February or March. I, I get it. But you know what? If you were to evaluate today at the end of the year, it's December 4th, 2022, how many of you have kept your New Year's resolution to this point? And you know what? Maybe a couple of you have. Maybe you're the overachiever, but most of us haven't. But when you made those New Year's resolutions, you meant them. You really wanted to accomplish that. So what made you miss? You see, I'm not just preaching the message of myself today. I'm preaching it to everybody here that has a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gotten off track. We've all had best of intentions to do something like read our Bible, like go to church, like grow more spiritually. And in the end, our intentions weren't enough. You know, last week we could have easily ended this series and, and looked at going into a spiritual training where you study your Bible, you pray more, you try really hard, you practice the best uh, solitude, submission and service that you can but what I've learned from my own experiences and from listening to so many Christian friends and counseling with people as a pastor is inspiration's not enough. Being inspired by a pep rally, you know, it's kind of like that football team that's in the locker room. You know, it's, it's halftime. The coach is going to give them a pep talk. Boys, you hit them hard. We've done a good work. We're going to have to get back out there in the second half and, and really push them around and show them who's boss. Nobody comes into our house and pushes us around. But the problem is the scoreboard's 46 to nothing. And you're not winning. And when you hear the pep talk, the pep talk's great. The pep talk's inspiring. But the reality is very different than what the pep talk's saying, right? So I know all of us know that we should read our Bible. I know all of us know we should be in church. I know all of us, well, made a priority to be in church today, right? We're here. You've done those things. You got the intentions. But what are the next steps? You know, in the football illustration, the other team has watched the film. They've done all the work that they needed to do to win the game. We also see this all over the Bible. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lets young believers know who they are in Christ, that they're chosen, they're adopted, they're redeemed, they're forgiven. They are a masterpiece, just to name a few. 
If you're ever discouraged, there's that's a great chapters to read there in Ephesians to encourage you about who you are in Christ. Then comes two and a half chapters of encouragement from Paul to these young believers. He tells them that he has some clear ways for them to follow. He says, be imitators of Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Paul talks about spiritual warfare. He even identifies who we are in Christ, that we've been pumped up. We've been given a new name. We have a great game plan that God has given to us, and we need to be ready for whatever Satan throws at us. Remember, the devil is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. So he's going to try to convince you of reasons to give up or to slow down in your pursuit for God. But if we see them for what they really are, we will be prepared to keep on going strong. And if we've been following Christ for a while, you may already relate to some or all these discouraging feelings. So this morning, I want us to take a look at four of the most prevalent excuses that Satan uses against us to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. So let's look at them this morning. You got your place in Revelation chapter two there. And the first one, the first tactic that Satan uses is this. He gets you to think that you've lost that love and feeling. Now, I couldn't start with an aviation theme and not use an aviation point here. Those of you that know Top Gun, right? You know that this is the line from Top Gun. But Satan wants us to think that we've lost that love and feeling. It's a myth. By the way, is love a feeling? Well, let's look at what John has to say here in Revelation chapter 2. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patience, your endurance, and how you can't bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They're doing a good thing. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. They're still doing the work of the ministry. But then Jesus says this, but I have something against you, that you have abandoned the love you first had. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. For all Christians, there's going to come a time when you just don't feel as close to God as you once did. It's not that you're not excited about waking up early to read your Bible. You honestly would rather check your email and spend time than spend time in prayer. And when you're in this, there's a guilty feeling that comes. And somehow along the way, you, you begin to forsake your first love. Instead of taking time to pray, I, I check my email. Instead of um, spending time in the word of God, I phone a friend or I watch a show. And before long, it doesn't take long for us to walk away from God and we begin to lose that love and feeling. But here's what's interesting. From Revelation chapter two, the word love there used by John is the word agape. It isn't describing love as a feeling. It's describing love as a choice. We choose. God chose to love us when we were unlovable. When we were still in the act of sinning and rebelling against God, Christ died for us. So this love is a choice. It's describing a choice that God wants the same thing with us that we want with our children. He wants us to deepen the relationship with him. Just like as a parent, we want to deepen our relationship with our kids. God wants to deepen his relationship with us. That leads me on to the second point tonight or this morning. And that is this, the spiritual comparison myth. Now, I already read the passage to you from Ephesians where God calls you a masterpiece He says, you're a one of a kind. The primary ways that we learn to grow in relationships with Christ is through reading and applying the Bible and looking up to other Christians. How many of you look up to Paul, right? I love the apostle Paul. I love how he is so real, so practical, such a warrior for the gospel, such a preacher of the word. And yet he struggled. He had problems. Not everything went perfect for Paul. Well, absolutely, God wants us to grow in, in applying the Bible and watching other Christians. It's really easy to fall into the comparison trap. It's really easy. How many of you here this morning would say, you're just like Paul, right? All of us would say, no, Paul's way up here. I'm not, I'm not that high. 
but I am better than so-and-so, so that makes me better than I am, right? And you know, it's easy to look at other people and say, well, hey, I'm doing more than they're doing. Uh, I'm doing enough to get by because I'm doing more than so-and-so. You know, I'm in church three times a month. I mean, so-and-so doesn't even come. Or so-and-so only comes one time a month. You know what? We can compare ourselves to other people, but here's the thing. There's only two people we should compare ourselves to. One is Jesus Christ, and the other is, well, ourself. What were to happen if you were to compare yourself to yourself? A year ago, when you made those New Year resolutions, are you better today than you were then? We'll come back to that thought here in just a minute. Here's the real problem with comparing ourselves to other people, okay? God never created you to be good at everything. You're not the best Bible reader. You're not the best prayer. You're not the best preacher. You're not the best storyteller. You're not the most active in attendance. You're not the greatest teacher. But God has never called us to be perfect at everything. He never called us to excel at everything all the time. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we need to be awesome at every spiritual discipline at all times, every time. And it really gets out of hand when we start comparing ourselves to some of the spiritual giants throughout history. Think about this. How many of you think Martin, you and Martin Luther are on the same page? How, how many of you this morning think that you and praying Clyde Hyde, who spent over 14 hours a day in prayer, how many of you have a prayer life like that this morning? If that's true, I don't think you'd be here right now. You'd be at home praying probably. You know what? We can't compare ourselves to those guys. But if praying Clyde Hyde, spending 14 hours in prayer a day, there's other people that are out witnessing that long every day. You see, we're not perfect in every way. How many would think that we need to share our faith like Billy Graham shared his? Not all of us are Billy Graham. Not all of us are Davids. Not all of us are Daniels. Not all of us are Pauls. And you know what? God didn't call you to be them either. He called you to be you. Stop comparing yourself to other Christians. And when you do that, you're finally free to focus on becoming the unique person that God made you to be. The person that God made you, instead of feeling inadequate and that you don't measure up, now you get to celebrate what you actually are in Jesus Christ. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are called a masterpiece. Look at what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is it? We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are one of a kind created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? To do his work to do his ministry that was prepared before we were ever born. And now we should walk in them. Satan's lie is that you have to measure up to all the best spiritual practices of Christianity throughout history. Otherwise, you're a nominal Christian. And that's a lie. And it's not true. That leads me to point number three this morning. The serial recommitter myth. Now, how many of us understand the only change Baptist like is in their pocket, Right? No, we are to change. God calls us to change. By the way, he calls you a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And for the spiritual recommitter myth, this is what I mean by that. A lot of churches and pastors tend to say they can help you, but they fall into this myth sometimes, okay? As you mature in your faith, there's going to be times where you have setbacks. And you know that you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway, right? You, you know it's wrong and you fall into that sin. You fall into the trap. You thought you'd move past that struggle in your life. You thought you got over that sin. You thought you got victory over it, but you were wrong. You thought that you had this spiritual habit down and somehow it's the end of the week and I haven't opened my Bible all week, right? We thought we had the prayer thing down and we were being intentional with it and somehow we've gone three, four days without praying now. You know, we, we had the church thing down where on Sundays we were there not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as the manner of some is. As Hebrews warns us that we need the assembly together. We need to be together with other believers. We need to come together. But like now all of a sudden it's been three months since I've been in church. Now, we didn't one day wake up and decide we're not going to read our Bible. We're not going to pray. We're not going to go to church. None of that happened. But what does happen is this. We get convicted about it. And then the devil comes alongside and says, you know what? 
you're, you're okay. It's okay. Just recommit yourself to God, and then you'll have victory in this. So people are in a service. They raise their hand that they need prayer, or they go forward, or they pray in the seat where they are, depending on how the pastor gives the invitation. And they, re they recommit themselves to God. And the problem is that they never dealt with the real problem. Look at what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. And then it says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, and here's the key, the changing of your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? It means to change or to refresh the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Paul informs this group of believers in Rome that their whole life should be worshiped to God. Not just when they're singing on Sundays in church. And then in verse 2 he says, he, he begins to walk through now practically how to do that. First, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed to the world's patterns and designs. The only problem is we've done nothing to make sure that we don't do this. You know, we, we made a commitment, but we haven't changed anything. And he goes on to say, in other words, follow my way and not the world's way, God says. Seek holiness, not selfishness or sin. And when we fall short, the devil's lie is that all we need to do is make another commitment and try harder. The only problem is we've done nothing to make sure that next time turns out any different. We're setting ourselves up for failure, and this is true in all areas of our lives. It's why we usually don't keep our diets. It's why we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. We're setting ourselves up for failure. If we keep failing over and over and we keep on making recommitments, at some point we come to the conclusion, what's the point? I'm going to fall away anyway, so why even bother? Why even try? And often this is the first step of completely walking away from God. And we all know people who have done that, don't we? All of us know somebody who's walked away from God. You see, our problem is that we only read the first half of the second verse. Paul gives us the answer to the rest of the sentence. But be transformed by renewing your mind. We can't recommit ourselves to spiritual growth. We need to renew our minds for spiritual growth. That happens when we intentionally fill our minds with God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. Then you will start seeing God change you from the inside out. Listen to the last sentence in the verse. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you change how you think, you'll change how you act. And if you change how you act, God will direct you where he wants you to go. Once you allow God to renew your mind, he'll give you the power and the wisdom to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. So stop recommitting yourself and change the way that you think. That's what God wants you to do. So change the way that you think. Understand that love is not a feeling. It is very much a choice. And also remember, as he mentioned in point number two, don't compare yourself to other Christians. Compare yourself to yourself if you've got to compare yourself to anybody. And that leads me to the last point here this morning. And that is this, the early arrival myth. And I think this is the one the church today in 2022 is most prone to. Don't be spiritually dead. Don't put it on autopilot. You see, God has a perfect will for your life and he's uniquely shaped you and called you to live it out for his purpose, for his glory and the good of others, right? And the happiest people on the planet are those who have figured that out and are living for God. They've somehow fallen into the sweet spot, if you will, of their Christian life. But that should never be an excuse for stopping to grow spiritually. While it's unhealthy to consistently compare ourselves to the spirituality of others, that doesn't mean that we should just get comfortable. If the devil can't make us bad, he'll often make us settle with being boring. Look at what John 10.10 10 says. It says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and you might have it how? abundantly. God just doesn't want you to live life. He wants you to thrive in this life. He wants you to live the abundant life. 
God wants what you want for your kids, for them to live their life to the fullest, to experience all that they can experience for their good. We can't fall for the lie that at some point it's okay to coast. If you get down on, on the habit of Bible reading and praying every day, that's fantastic, but don't fall into such a rhythm that you never explore other ways to connect with God. There are dozens of spiritual disciplines that, that we would love to have you at least try out. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's leading a ministry. Maybe it's discipling somebody. There's so many things beyond the elementary. By the way, I mean elementary things of prayer, reading our Bible, and going to church. God actually wants a relationship with you, a relationship that's real and fresh. He wants to enlarge the circle of people that we care about. He wants us to step out of our comfort zones and share the gospel with them. We need to treat our relationships with God the same way. When your time with God seems to be getting a little predictable, it's a perfect time to, I know, here's that word again, change. Stir it up. Mix it up. I say this all the time. Think inside the Bible, but outside the box. Do something different to make your time with the Lord not as predictable. The Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian, in my opinion, to ever walk on the face of the earth, maybe besides Jesus, of course, right? But listen to what Paul had to say to a group that lived in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Look what it says. Not that I've already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What did he say? To make it whose? His own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he goes on to say then in the next verse, in verse 13, he goes... Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, that's the word for stretching your chest out like a runner in a race. They're straining forward to what lies ahead. Like you're trying to reach that finish line. He says, I made it my own. I'm forgetting the things that were behind me. I'm looking at what's in front of me. In verse 14, look what he says. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's, not, it's often not unhealthy to compare ourselves to others. It's often not healthy to compare ourselves to others. But how about comparing ourselves to ourselves? Is the fruit of the Spirit more alive in you this year than it was last year? I think that's fair to ask at the end of a year, don't you? Am I exuding the fruit of the Spirit more? Am I showing more joy this year than, last, than the beginning of the year? Am I showing more love to people than I did at the beginning of the year? Am I at peace with God and with others now as I was at the beginning of the year? How about my kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control? Is it more natural today than it was before? You're a little bit more patient with your kids now, aren't you? You know, are you more generous with your volunteerism? Have you become more and more a person of peace instead of always being stressed out and frazzled? If our model is Jesus Christ, which means we're never going to arrive completely at Jesus Christ, right? None of us are Jesus Christ today. So if he is our goal, if he's the one that we are to look at, and we know we're never going to make it until we're face-to-face -face with him in heaven and he imparts to us everything that he is, then maybe it's time for us to get ourselves back on track. As we pursue growing more and more to be like Jesus Christ, let's consider, let's remember that he has gone before us and invites us to run with him. He is far better than two pilots in an airplane trying to get you to a destination falling asleep at the wheel. He is far better than you and I with the best of intentions trying to set a New Year's resolution and never keeping it. And Jesus Christ is far better at laying in the plane than you and I could ever be. God wants you to win. God wants you to finish well. God wants you to, to come in and land on the runway at the time he appointed in the manner that he appointed, in the way that he appointed. So what about it this morning? I could have stopped last week with a pep rally and a cheerleading moment and said, you can do it! And you know what? You can do it. But here's the question, the real question. Will you do it? And will you do it 
with Jesus Christ. Stop listening to the lies of Satan. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just don't do it. Don't, don't lose that love and feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. God rewards faithfulness. And you know what? God wants you to walk with him this morning. And he wants to accomplish his will in your life. And he wants you to stretch forth yourself for the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. That's the next step you need to take for your life. Turn the autopilot off. Take control of the yoke. And be the co-pilot and let Jesus Christ be your captain. And when he guides the plane, he's going to get you where you need to be, and he's going to land it every time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's quick and powerful, and I thank you that we can live it. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to take the next step that we need to take in our own personal walk with Jesus Christ. Lord, for some, it's going to be teaching a class, leading discipleship, for witnessing to our coworkers and friends. For others, maybe there's some in the room today who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, maybe somebody watches our live stream or watches the video later on and they come to a place where they realize they've been trying to live life on their own. They've been trying to fly the airplane on their own and they fall, fall asleep all the time. And they get lost and they don't know where they are and they don't know how to recover. And yet, Jesus, you are there right all the time, right there, ready to take control. If we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And we say, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. I surrender my, my mind, my will, my emotions. I surrender my eternal destiny and I surrender my works to the work that you did for me on the cross of Calvary. Father, we say, your word tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. There's nobody that has uh, figured it out. We've all fallen astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it was through Jesus Christ being our sacrifice that we can have victory. It's for Jesus Christ now in victory that we live and we should be telling others about Jesus Christ. We should be discipling others. We should be reading our Bible. We should be praying. And we should be taking time out of our busy schedules to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to do that. Help us to take the next step that you would have for us this morning. In your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.
Thank you.